Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. We're sharing our own insights as authors who have been publishing since the beginning of the e-reader revolution, uh, roughly 2010 there, and we're also interviewing industry experts and other successful authors to help you figure out what's working right now. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Joe Lalo. And I'm Andrea Pearson. And uh, those of us, those of you who followed uh, Joe and I on the science fiction and marketing fantasy podcast, which I've already, it's been six months, I've forgotten what our title was, Joe. Uh, you may notice that we are starting a new one and we're here with a new co-host, Andrea, who actually right. came in. I was basically ready to retire from podcasting. <laughs> like I kind of gave up and said, no, nope, too much extra work. Um, but Andrea is going to kind of help us keep things going. And uh, yeah, I'm Let's go ahead and do intros, I guess, of all three of us. Uh, we are going to be talking in this first episode about what it takes to make six figures as an author and also kind of dispelling a lot of the myths that are out there relating to uh, becoming a successful author. Um, Andrea, since you're maybe new to our listeners, our former listeners, <laughs> do you want to <laughs> introduce yourself? Although we did interview you, so they may remember you. But <laughs> tell us what you're all about. Um, and you're going to make me go first. I'm like the wordiest one of us. So. <laughs> no, I'll stop you after a half hour. Okay. <laughs> okay. So like she said, I'm Andrea Pearson. I'm host of the Self-Published Strong Podcast, which is a show where my husband and I talk about publishing and marketing. And we delve into great and awful movies and give writing tips based on those movies because we are obsessed with movies. Um, I've published around 60 titles now under three pen names, including marketing books for authors. Um, marketing is one of my favorite topics. And, but uh, there isn't much I don't have a lot of experience with, but I found that I don't have a lot of time anymore because I have kids and my oldest is six and I have a three-year-old and a soon to be six month old. Um, but I've had to limit my teaching at conferences and on podcasts and things like that. So I've started teaching mostly via online courses. Um, you can check them out at selfpublishstrong.com. I'm also an instructor for Dean Wesley Smith's business masterclass. And that's for authors. And it's one of the only in-person events I attend now. It's a workshop I seriously recommend. If you haven't been to it, then you really ought to check it out. It's absolutely fantastic. Actually, I met, um, I met both of you at it uh, two years ago, right? Yes. But uh, another little bit of a disclaimer, this, this podcast is called Six Figure Authors. I have been a six-figure author in the past. I'm not one currently because I am trying to raise little people into adults. And I've had to step back a little bit on my writing just so I can be a good mom. But I have uh, still have clients that are at six figures, and the things that I teach are definitely um, valuable and good. And so, yeah, so you can go check out my rankings on Amazon and be like, she's not making six figures. <laughs> and then I'll say, I'm not only on Amazon. <laughs> anyway, yes, that's me. Cool. And what, what uh, genres do you like? We'll, we'll should let people know. We'll probably be focusing mostly on genre fiction, but I would love to have nonfiction authors on too. And people do the do a mix of both. Uh, what do you do with your various pen names and yourself? Uh, okay. So this pen name is mostly fantasy slash light horror. Um, and that's where most of my, that's my bread and butter basically. And then I do under the pen name, Andrea Kate Pearson, I do uh, sweet Western romance. And then under another pen name that I'm not going to tell because I don't want to mess with algorithms, <laughs> uh, I do illustrated kids picture books. I've got about 10 of those out. And then that was the question, right? That was the question. And thank you. Let's go ahead and move on to Joe for those that do not know you, which is going to be anybody that finds our podcast that <laughs> didn't listen to the old one. Tell us about what you write. And uh, yeah, we've all been in it for about eight years now, I think eight or nine years. So been around the block a little bit. 
Yeah, uh, I'm Joe Lalo. I write science fiction, fantasy, uh, steampunk, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, as we'll go over later in this thing, I have not been as focused as, as perhaps I should have been. I've been, I have, uh, I published my first, I self-published my first book in two, January of 2010. And I have been a full-time self-published author since 2014. And for most of that time, well, for, for a large portion of that time, no, it was most, I have been a, a six-figure author. Uh, the last two years, I've fallen somewhat behind on that. I don't have a good excuse. I didn't have kids. I just, did, you know, that's just the way things are sometimes. But uh, yeah, and I co-hosted the science fiction and fantasy marketing podcast for a lot of that time too. Almost the entire time that I was a six-figure author. So, you know, and uh, yeah, that's about it. All right, cool. Well, hopefully as we get inspired by our, all the secrets our guests are going to share with us, we'll maybe find some stuff to use ourselves. As I said in the in the start, I publish also fantasy and science fiction, um, kind of more epic fantasy, a little swords and sorcery, kind of not really to market at all. I also do some sci-fi, sort of space opera, Firefly-esque. So that is what I've been doing. And I have been six figures, I think, since 2011, maybe 2012. I've uh, been high six figures, occasionally creeping to the next digit <laughs> a couple years when I've had really a uh, series that have really sold well. And so we'll definitely, you're not limited to six figures if you listen to the guests and the advice that we hopefully will get for you on the show. But um, yeah, you have to be pretty serious, probably have a pretty good catalog and be writing in a fairly commercial genre to, to get up to the higher level. And, you know, we'll have folks on that do collaborations and some people end up starting their own publishing companies and really become super entrepreneurs and successful. But I'm actually not that person. I, I write, I've done one collaborative project in my life. <laughs> it was a novella with four people and it was fun, but it's, it's not my thing. I'm very much just a person that wants to sit on the couch with my laptop and my dogs and, and write stories. And then I write what I like to write. And then I try to figure out how best to market them so that they sell once I've written the story. But we will get some right to market people on too, uh, for those of you that really are into that and like to analyze and, and see where it's a little easier right now to jump in and do well. All right, then let's let's go ahead and move into let's talk about the myths first. Uh, some of the things that people believe that we have not found to be true. I will just go ahead and we've got a made up a little list pre-show brainstorming and I'll, I'll run through them one at a time and we'll kind of chat about it a little bit. Um, I think one of the first myths that we often have as authors is that we are going to hit it big with our first book or one book is going to be all it takes. Uh, do you guys want to give your thoughts on that? I don't know about your first book. Mine was super underwhelming. Um, I don't know who wants to go first. Andrea, you want to jump in? Sure. Yeah, my first book did not make me go big. <laughs> or my second book, or my third book. <laughs> Any thoughts, Joe? Let's uh, put it this way. Technically, my first book did make me go big, but it didn't do it for a year and a half, and it didn't do it very quickly. My first book is The Book of Deacon. So the first one I published is what led into my most money-making, but it wasn't until I had three books in the series and the first one went perma-free and I had two books in the other series that it started to catch on. So, uh, yeah, you're not going to like, I had to have a full series plus another side thing. So it certainly wasn't one book that made me big. It was just one book that funneled into what made me big. 
I, I will say it's perfectly possible to do really well with your first book, especially if you are. There are so many podcasts out there and blogs and, and people that have done it before and are kind of sharing the ropes. Um, it's unlikely, uh, especially if you're hoping to make 100000 a year. Usually what happens is even if you have something that's successful, you know, it is for a few months, maybe it'll kind of catch on. Uh, but then as you're sort of pushing a boulder uphill, even if you're throwing advertising money at it and stuff to keep it selling as well. So you'll need to, you know, I would just, if you're thinking of doing this full time, plan on writing a series and then another series and, you know, probably some other series. <laughs> and if you look at it that way, if you do have early success, you'll just be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of authors, or not a bunch, just a couple authors whose first series went really big. And one of them in particular, she still writes. You probably know who I'm talking about. She's like got 55 books in that first series of hers. And she still does really well on them. But she ended up having to go back and rewrite the first book to make it longer. So, I mean, my first book makes me money now, that series does, because I rewrote it for an older audience. It had originally been for middle grade. But as a middle grade fiction, I was making 400 to 500 a month on it. And I was outselling other huge authors. And I'm obviously not going to say names, but traditionally published authors, I was outselling them and I was only making between 400 and 500 a month and obviously not enough to live off of. And so um, I ended up rewriting that to a slightly older audience and it's done much better since then. So it is possible to go back and you know retcon your first book and make it be successful. But yeah, don't expect it right off the bat though. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, those people who may be in uh, some of the Facebook groups and checking the forums and stuff may see some of the really successful authors are publishing a book a month or even a book every week. Uh, chances are a book every week is probably a team writing under one name. Um, but I do certainly know quite a few people that are just really good and really fast, efficient, and can get a book a month out. I've, I've done that. I've actually probably had like 10 novels out the last few years. I'm actually thinking like I may slow down a little bit <laughs> in future in the future, but I, I am one of those people that I, I guess I didn't say in my intro, but I think I've written 60, 70 novels at this point. And it's just, it's, it's a lot easier after time, you know, it's, it's, you get more efficient. And uh, the first book took seven years as I'm, <laughs> as I always tell people, not all the time was I working on it, but uh, so the myth is that you need to be to be this successful. You need to write super fast, super fast and publish a book a month. It, it doesn't hurt, but uh, you know, no. We've uh, on our own show we would interview people that were doing quite well on maybe a book a year. Uh, obviously, if you're in traditional publishing, probably going to be hard to get your publisher to put out more than a book a year. Although I've seen some in fantasy, some folks come on with a more the rapid release style uh, in traditional publishing too. But what do you guys think? How many books have you been publishing either now or in the past a year? And, you know, I, I feel like we'll talk a little bit about what it actually takes to get to six figures. But, you know, I would say if you're in a decently commercial genre, you're, you've built up a following, you have fans, you know, if you could do maybe four a year, you probably get there. Uh, and that's a lot when you're starting out. But uh, at this, at the point where you're like starting to make money, maybe it becomes your full-time job. So what, what are you guys doing? Um, I, uh, I have actually had at least once during my career, I've had one full year go by when I didn't release a book. Uh, and that was before I went pro and I have uh, on average, I released about three books a year. I mean, if, if you average it out, it comes out to less than three because of that one year that didn't have any, I think my best year I had five. So I'm by no means just pumping them out. Although to be fair, my books tend to be longer than is really recommended 
Uh, so yeah, I, I, uh, I certainly made my career off of what was effectively annual releases because I would average about three books a year, but those three books would be in three different series. So from the point of view of a single series, I was an annual release guy. And I'm kind of a mix between the two, two of you. I focus on one series at a time and I write between like Joe three to four, um, a year. And yeah, about five was my, my best year, but uh, yeah, I focus on one one series at a time, and that's because you know having kids, I have to laser focus in on different things. I can't; it's too hard for me to jump around. I get too many distractions, and so I found my success through um, focusing on the same series until it's finished and doing about three to four books a year, about four on average. That's what I've moved to is writing one series, starting and then completing it before moving off in part because I have so many going right now that it's really hard. I have to reread from the beginning where things get blurry, but in part because it's just hard to get excited about something you were working on two years ago, at least for me. And, and same with um, advertising and promoting and everything. It's a little easier if you're more focused and you're releasing books more often in one series. I think Joe might admit that, uh, you lose a lot of momentum when you're kind of jumping, especially if you're going from different genres and, and don't have the same readership for the different series. All right, next myth is that you need to write romance or erotica in order to be a six-figure author or better. What do you guys think about that? It's so true. It's not even funny. <laughs> Just kidding. No, obviously it's not true. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've never written uh, a romance or an erotica, uh, and again, this house I'll I'll keep on bringing it up. This is my credentials. This house was purchased by the books. Like we wouldn't have been able to buy the house without the books. So I did that without romance or erotica. I would very much like to try writing romance and erotica because I think it might help. But by this no time means next necessary. year, Joe's suddenly a million dollar a year author. <laughs> He's like, I may have started a little pen name on the side. Uh, no, I would, I obviously, I don't, I've written sci-fi romance under pen name in the past. It was not as successful as my fantasy and sci-fi under my own name. Um, that's not the hugest subgenre of romance, but you will find that romance has a really uh, large readership base, especially the contemporary stuff. Uh, so if you can do well in it, I, the ceiling is really high, meaning you can, like if I've, talk to romance authors that make over a million on four releases a year. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't think that could happen with space opera. Yeah. I know what kind of rankings I can, I've gotten in it when I've had them, I've been like, had three books in the top five of my subgenre. So, <laughs> uh, but you know, it's very competitive, those genres. So sometimes even if you're thinking you might aspire to that, you might want to start in a smaller niche, uh, and then work your way up. So yeah, something I found with my romances I write. I mean, I've only got two full romances published, and it's been two years since I wrote, written, have written anything or added to that. But they're still selling, and so, but there, it's like the sweet Western romance category, and so there's a lot of money to be made in pretty much any genre. I mean, romance and fantasy, they have so many subgenres. So in sci-fi, so if there's like you know something that interests you, then write it. I will say it is tough to have a lot of success if you're super niched down. Like I would say space operas, it's a niche of sci-fi. 
epic fantasy is a niche of fan, uh, subgenre of fantasy. There still have a reasonably large readership that uh, you can do well if you're if you're selling well in the genres. But you get into you know some of the like actually steampunk is is pretty. If you can't get out of that, that's a pretty small one. That's a little tougher to uh, to make a lot in, and that's going to be true in all the genres. If if you, I think ideally you want to be in a small genre where you can rank easily like on amazon but that has ma more mass appeal so people that are not just readers of that specific little niche can also pick up your book if it's doing well when they see it all right next uh one i think this might be andrea's edition so maybe i should let you talk about it um well we're all going to talk about it but you need to write to market i guess people will know from the introduction that none of us <laughs> really do so it's probably not required but what do you guys think about that um, I write to market with my romances, but not with my fantasies. My my best-selling fantasy series uh, to date ha is like a mess of five or six um, genres. They're like Lovecraft rewrites for people who like kissing. So, you know, it's like light horror with lots of magic and fantasy and kissing, and they're, they've done very well. And so, I mean, writing to market, if it works for you, and if that's where you're passionate and where your you know, news, news takes you or whatever, that's fine. But you don't have to be writing to market to be successful. Uh, likewise, like since it's a new podcast, I get to tell this story for the first time. I'm the guy who writes furthest from market most of the time. I have a story that is about a pizza oven that is also a dragon. Uh, so yeah, you can you can have a career by taking some experimental things that are far from market. But even when I try to write to market, I am told later that I didn't succeed. I might have written a good story, but I didn't write to market. So. It is by no means necessary to be successful. But if you do like the market and it's appealing to you, you might find a slightly easier road. I've seen a lot of folks that did not get much traction with their first series, and then they specifically went and kind of hunted around the categories on Amazon and saw what was maybe not being served that well by traditional publishing and, and what they thought was not too competitive and could get into and had some super success with like a second series that was more to market. But, you know, I think everybody should just write the first series or book, if you're not a series person, that you want to tell. Give it the best shot, see how it does. And you may find out that it's it's got enough commercial appeal that that you can make a good living or whatever your goals are just by doing the stories that you love. I guess it depends if there's how many people are out there with your tastes. <laughs> I, I've been fortunate enough to find other quirky souls out there that like my uh, strange characters and... Uh, I'll just call them quirky characters. All right, next one, uh, next myth is that you need to have a big, a huge platform before you get started. Andrea, this is yours, so I'll make you go first. Okay, and my internet connection is unstable. It just told me that. So if I drop out, <laughs> um, you do not need to have a huge platform before you start. That is something that is everybody all over. It's a very popular traditional publishing um, thing. That if you can't get if you can't get people to follow you before you have a book out, then you're not going to get them to follow you after. It's not true. Um, most successful indie authors and even a lot of the successful traditional published and hybrid authors did not have huge platforms before they started. They built them as they went, and so that's something I don't stress about. It. It's more important to actually write than it is to build and market a platform. Yeah, likewise. The uh, I had zero platform when I started. I had zero platform for about a year and a half uh, when I started. And then I very slowly started to build it up. So uh, you can certainly build your platform from being a good writer as opposed to build a giant platform and hope that you're a good writer. I'd say that with 
nonfiction that uh, it's not a bad idea to start building a platform maybe as you're writing your first book. And sometimes like blog posts can turn into parts of the book. It is tougher with fiction because until they actually read your fiction, you know, they don't know if they want to follow you. You could get 10,000 followers, but if they haven't read your book and they love you, then, you know, good luck getting them to actually buy it and, and become super fans. Uh, the only thing would be is if you're trying to get a traditional deal, I've heard from agents and, and publishers that you can be more appealing because they will Google you uh, if they're thinking of taking you on. And if you already seem like you have a bit of a readership, that's going to be a little bit of a plus. Um, but the only way with fiction to really effectively establish that is if maybe you've been publishing some short stories or even you self-published your first couple books and they did pretty well and then you're trying to get a deal. But I also had no platform. I uh, My first Twitter account was just so I could stalk agents because at that time I thought, this was like 2009, I'd didn't have my first Kindle yet. So I was thinking I was going to have to go the traditional route, which uh, I have no patience. So sticking with self-publishing has been uh, really conducive to my personality. All right. Next myth is that you have to do readings, signings, and go to conventions. I, I feel like this is sci-fi and fantasy people, especially, although I don't know, I guess they have Thriller Fest and, and some other romance conventions out there too but have you guys done any of that stuff and if you did did it do anything <laughs> move the dial in any way um i went to a, a WesterCon. you heard that one um it's when it came locally um i went to that one i did a presentation i taught a bunch of people how to write and i still have two writers from that or two readers from that who still buy all of my books but for the most part it hasn't been a huge a huge um anything actually. I, I go to them and now like the WMG business masterclass, I go for networking only and not to actually sell books because networking can lead to opportunities down the road. But it's, yeah, when you're, when you're going just to do a reading or to do a book signing, things like that, it's not really, in my opinion, worth it as much. Uh, I have never done a signing or a reading and I've, I've gone to conventions many times, but never in a professional capacity, except way back when I was technically a journalist. Uh, uh, so yeah, I, I don't like this sort of is a cart before the horse thing. I think that going to conventions and stuff is the sort of thing that would come once you have an established career as opposed to helping to build your, your, uh, your career. Right. Good point. And we've actually had a few people on the old podcast that they didn't do that well with eBooks or selling on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and stuff, but they were able to make a living selling paperbacks but i think remember that one guy <laughs> i remember his name but he was doing like 30 or 40 a year and boy it's a lot of work you basically hand selling your books in that kind of environment and if it's something you enjoy there's no reason why you shouldn't go and, and maybe connect with people and pick up some readers but uh as far as the best use of your time you know probably learning how to do the internet marketing stuff just enough to uh to sell some ebooks uh, as you probably know uh, especially if you're self-publishing, the biggest margin is going to be on the eBooks. Um, can do well also in audiobooks uh, these days. All right, we are going on to the next one. Next myth is that you'll make more money if you get a big traditional publishing deal. Joe, since Andrea dropped out, again, <laughs> would you like to go first? Uh, sure. Um, this is like, this is the one that I believed for the longest time. And honestly, uh, if you look at the number, like big publisher is basically the only benefit that they have is that they're in bookstores. Uh, and obviously that's enormous. So you can get into bookstores too, but we'll, we'll, we'll cover it in, in future topics. I'm sure that, that 
typically won't be the largest part of your uh, like physical bookstores probably won't be the largest part of your income. But other than that, uh, the big publishers, you know, you get paid a lot less per book. Uh, you get paid in advance and often uh, a lot of the midlist authors never make any money beyond their advance. So uh, a traditional publishing deal is certainly not uh, uh, absolutely necessary to become successful. And in fact, I would be far less successful if I was. Uh, early on, I was courted by a couple different publishers. Like I had a really good year uh, and I got contacted by people who were, who were after me to represent me. And I flat out asked them, I was like, I'm making X amount of money right now. Is this going to be a quit my job? I hadn't quit my job yet. Is this going to be a quit my job amount of money if I sign with you? And they're like, well, no, you'll still be making most of your money from your self-published books. Like the agent who was trying to convince me to sign with her flat out told me that I was going to make less money on the books that she represents me for. Now, it's certainly not, you know, if you want to be traditional, uh, go for it. But don't assume that traditional is the path toward riches because it's merely a path. Right. You'll find that a lot of uh, authors who do the hybrid thing, they it's kind of the best of both worlds because they can have their publisher getting them in the bookstore. And, you know, there are certainly perks to uh, more easily getting reviews and getting covered um, when you've got a traditionally published series. But then over on the side, they might have some other stuff they're self-publishing. Uh, and they're kind of like, wow, making a lot more money per, <laughs> per book. And I can sell them for half the price when I do it that way. And you'll, you'll hear uh, every now and then somebody will get a six-figure deal for like a trilogy or something from a traditional publisher, but you get paid that in like three installments. Usually I believe it is, you know, like th a third up front, you know, a third when the book is ready to go, what a, you know, like over two years. So it might actually not get you to six figures because you're not going to get it all at once. And then you have to wait until, uh, like Joe was saying with the advances that you earn out next on the list. You won't have to market or do any of the extra stuff if you get a traditional publishing deal. They'll handle it all for you, and you just have to write that being the myth. Uh, yeah, that's certainly not been the case with... Uh, I've been to a couple of... I guess I've been to a couple of conventions, uh, also writers conferences, and generally speaking, the publishers expect you to handle a fair amount of the uh, of the tr the marketing stuff yourself these days. If maybe that means you're going on a speaking circuit or a reading circuit or anything like that, but that's all marketing that they expect you to do. And to a large degree, a lot of people I talk to, uh, like they wish they had the flexibility to market that in the, the, the indie publishers have because they have no control over things like the price of their book. So uh, yeah, you, you will be handling a fair amount of marketing and you're going to be a little bit hamstrung with the marketing that you can do if you're with anything but the largest of, of publishers and at the top of their, their you know, stable. Yeah, if you did get a six-figure advance, they're probably going to put some money behind you, but they, they will still expect you to do quite a bit. All right, next myth is that in order to make this work, you have to be a marketing genius. Joe, are you a marketing genius? I am the opposite of a marketing genius. Uh, again, I host, I co-hosted a, a podcast about marketing the exact kind of books that I write for four years. And I still consider myself to be at best a novice. Uh, and yet for all of that time and continuing to this day, I continue to be a professional. You don't really need to like, and don't get me wrong. The most successful authors that we that we have I've spoken to in the past tend to be very savvy with advertising, and and if you can really get your head around how to get advertising to work for you, you can get a much higher level of success. But I have basically three things in my advertising like toolkit 
and they made they got me through what what will soon be ten years of a, of a of a of a publishing career. So you don't need to be a marketing genius to succeed. You just need to know enough and use it correctly. Right. I've uh, said this on the other podcast, but I'll say it again since we might have new listeners coming in. That you can either be if you're really good at the marketing and you're okay at the writing thumbs up, you're probably going to do okay. If you're really good at the writing and you're okay at the marketing, you're probably going to be okay. If you're not very good at marketing and your craft needs some work, you're probably going to struggle. Um, I consider myself probably a better writer than a marketer. I, you know, I kind of watch and pay attention to what everybody's doing, but I, I just writing's what I love to do and I prioritize that and that's about 90% of my work time goes into that uh, and then the other 10% I'll play with some ads especially around the launch of a new series I'll pay a lot more attention then then I kind of let things coast for a while um, but you know you you got to learn enough to like realize like what kind of cover is going to work in my particular genre that I'm trying to appeal to uh, I think a lot of the time we make the mistake when we're starting out that we want to be different from everybody else. You know, we want to have a unique blurb and unique characters and, and show how our story is different. And I think traditional publishing actually sets you up for that because the agents always, they're like, we want to see something new. We're tired of seeing orcs and dragons for, you know, in fantasy Tolkien-esque stuff. But then you go out there and look at what's actually selling. And it's like, oh, look, orcs and dragons. And, uh, you know, that's what's selling in fantasy. So it, it's actually... You know, you probably want to write, make a cover and stuff, that, a really good package. And if you don't think you're really good at judging that, you know, try to find some successful folks and have them take a look at it and say, well, yay or nay, is this on point for my genre or does it need some work? And we'll definitely talk about covers and blurbs and all that stuff in future episodes. We'll do a, a couple more myths here before switching on to what it actually does take. Uh, second to the last one we've got on the list is that you need a lucky break. Uh, what are your feelings on that, Joe? Uh, like a lot of things on this list, a lucky break won't hurt. Uh, I, it, it, again, it's probably fair to say the first two years that, of my career, and therefore the, the reason that made me decide to start working on it harder, uh, was really helped by the fact that about a year and a half in, when I made my first book free, uh, it was picked up and got 25,000 downloads because of a blog post. Uh, and that, that was wonderful. But uh, that was one thing that got me about $3,000. And if I didn't continue to working on my stuff and I didn't and reinvest that money, I wouldn't have a career. The lucky break wasn't made my career. The lucky break was just the inspiration that allowed me to start really, you know, cracking the whip on myself to make it a career. So many, many of the people that I've spoken to who have the most successful careers uh, have done so by working hard and building steadily year over year. I've certainly run into quite a few people who have had lucky breaks or one, one of one kind or another, or they kind of lucked into getting into an underserved, hungry genre without even realizing they were doing so. And it's actually kind of boring to listen to them <laughs> on an interview or something because they don't give any advice that other people could actually follow. Um, I would not be opposed to getting any big lucky break. I, you know, if you're in there long enough, you'll occasionally get some good things that happen like, your blog post. And, um, I actually had the very, the year book bub started up, I think it was maybe 2012 or so. They featured one of my books, uh, free. Cause I think I was blogging at the time and that helped me be maybe noticed a little bit as some of them might want to like, Hey, if we feature this person, they'll, they'll talk about us. And so, uh, you know, and it, it was not like at that point that was 
made a huge difference, but it was certainly nice. Like, oh, hey, here's 25,000 free downloads. Uh, so I've had a couple of things like that, but mostly I've just been consistent over the last eight years or so, continuing to write and release the kinds of novels that uh, my readers enjoy. And it, it's kind of boring to say that consistency is <laughs> the secret to success, but it, it's one of them. Boy, if, if you can just keep going, yeah, you know, even if you're doing one novel a year, if you could do it over 10 years, you know, it, it has a lot of, that has a lot of power to help you become a fixture in somebody's mind. All right, uh, last myth is that you have to be exclusive to Amazon and in Kindle Unlimited right now to uh, to do well. Uh, Joe, I think you've got a couple things in there, but what what's your experience so far? Uh, yeah, my experience, uh, I've been wide since the beginning. I, I published on Smashwords the day before or the day after I published on Amazon. So from the start, I've been in as many places as I could. And through that time, my income has been basically 50-50. I mean, plus or minus 15%. But uh, we would, uh, I, I would, I would see that go up and down, but I certainly haven't required Amazon exclusivity to be successful. My first real attempt at Amazon exclusivity has just been this most recent release that I did over the course of the last few months. And frankly, it hasn't blown me away. I mean, there have surely been some missteps that I would do differently if I tried this again. I'm going to probably try it again. But I still make about 50-50 wide and, and, uh, and exclusive, well, wide and Amazon, I should say. So it's not at all necessary. Uh, uh, perhaps advisable, but it really just depends on how you do things. Right. It's, a, it's however you're passionate about what you feel about. You can make it work either way. I am right now kind of a mix. I obviously started out wide since that was the only thing that I think KDP and exclusivity came around 2014 or so and uh, Kindle Unlimited. But I've uh, been wide with most of my catalog the whole time. And then in 2016, I started launching new series into Amazon exclusivity and KU because I saw that uh, as we're talking about this now and how it's been for a few years that uh, they were rewarding borrows uh, as sales, basically, as far as figuring their sales rankings. And, you know, and that affects your visibility if you're in the top 100 categories for uh, the subgenres you're trying to hit. So it was, a, I noticed it was a big disadvantage not to be in Kindle Unlimited. So that's why I kind of caved and, and started putting new series in there. And usually once I finish them up and move on to something else, I take them out and kind of give them a second launch uh, going wide. And at that point, uh, like it, right now to get a book club ad, it's, it's easier if you're wide. And so I can more easily shoot for some of those uh, once I've got them out everywhere. It, it's hard to make everyone happy when you're kind of in the middle road like that. Cause I'll get people in KU like, why aren't all your books in KU? I'll get people on Kobo. Why aren't all your books on Kobo? So I, I actually say it's easier to be one or the other, but this is sort of what I'm doing right now for me uh, because a, I make more money this way. And um, that's actually B too. <laughs> uh, it's like I said, it, it's tougher if you're not in KU right now. So that's why I've opted to do the new series that way. All right. So now that we've talked about all the myths that we came up with, we're going to talk a little bit about what it does take to become a six-figure author uh, as we're recording this in 2019, because the industry does change a lot. So. Uh, we're just uh, talking about what's working today. And uh, the first thing on my list is kind of, you need a solid backlist with new stuff coming out regularly. As we talked about, this doesn't have to be a book a month, you know, but I, I think if you can consistently release, it's gonna really help you 
you know, the fans will come to expect like, oh, it's, it's winter. I usually get a new release in December from Andrea. And um, do you guys want to comment on that before we move on to like how many books it took, so it took each of us to get there? Uh, yeah, I really feel like the backlist, particularly if you're going to try to make this career, uh, the backlist is going to be where you're going to be making your most reliable money. Uh, like if you've been doing your, well, I just speaking from my own, from my own uh, experience, if you have been doing things well, then your books are going to sort of reach a steady state after a certain amount of time that they've been out. And if that steady state is high enough, or if you have enough books that are at a lower steady state, that's a career. And then if you have a really good launch, great. You had a great year. If you have a mediocre launch, well, your backlist keeps you afloat. The backlist is what allows you to have a career. Uh, so yeah, definitely having I mean, stuff coming out regularly creates a backlist. So, so these are these are the same thing. So, I definitely feel like uh, what makes a career, uh, and particularly what makes a successful one, is is having a, a steady release schedule with a strong backlist. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I didn't start making decent money until I had a six book series out, and I was well into my second series, and. Yeah, it it's you can like we're like they're saying. I mean, you can do better, you know, if you don't have that that whole foundation there. Or you can start off well without that foundation, but you're going to have a whole lot more um, opportunities to reach more readers and to have more success if you do have a solid backlist. And uh, that's one thing that a lot of my you know the, my newer clients they they only have one or two books and it's and it it honestly it's really discouraging. I mean I I remember having only a couple books and not doing super well in the beginning and it was very discouraging. But the most important thing again is to be writing and to increase that backlist and stop stressing about you know making that the twenty well the whole twenty books of fifty k right. You know you want to have that solid backlist and if you're freaking out about and stressing about not being successful when you've only got a couple books out, then you're just slowing yourself down, honestly, because your emotions do affect your product productivity. All right. Um, I've definitely found that, you know, the, the backlist, you can do less, like your front list is sort of what's, what's going to keep you visible, usually unless you're, you're really lucky and you've got kind of this evergreen thing that it continues to sell super well with minimal advertising happens. <laughs> it's never happened to me, but I've, uh, I've seen it happen to other people. But I find that my front list is kind of what keeps people coming in. It's, it's what I'm working the most on is, you know, whatever the current series is, it's making good money. But um, I haven't done the numbers yet for 2019. We're, we're just in September now. But last year, I found that I had one uh, series, my Heritage of Power series uh, in my in fantasy that sold quite well. Uh, you know, especially I made quite a lot the first four or five months of the year. And that series really contributed to it. But when I actually ran the numbers at the end of the year uh, with Book Report, I saw that, you know, sort of the frontless stuff I published last year in 2018 was about half of my income. And the other half just came from all of my backlist, which is several series at this point. And so, you know, the more backlist you have, uh, you know, however many series, the is if you do hit it big with a series, then the fans are going to go on and read all that other stuff. So it's, it's super powerful. There's nothing wrong with hitting it big with your first series. We all want to do that, right? Nobody's going to object to that. But if it doesn't happen, just you know, use it as a learning experience. Know you're writing something fun and, and continue on with the next series. In my case, I've very much just kind of built up the readership gradually over the years. It's never been like one super hit that established everything. All right. Um, so what 
how many books did it take you guys to first, you know, whatever, get to six figures or get to the point where this could kind of be your full-time income? Uh, Andrea, I know you're part-time right now since you're a part-time mom, part-time writer, full-time mom, part-time writer probably. Um, but like, what, how many books did you have out before you really sort of got to that point? Um, yeah, I, I started making, I would say decent money when I had four or five books out, but then I didn't start making really good money until we had, um, probably 10, maybe, um, maybe 11 or 12, but yeah, it, it made a big difference. And part of it was also having that, the two series, you know, they were both feeding into me, uh, into my readership and helping people find me in more than one ways. And then I, I would have to say in the beginning, being wide, I know we talked about that already, but being wide actually made a huge difference for me over Kindle Unlimited. Some genres just don't do as well in Kindle Unlimited as others, and mine happen to be those genres. As for me, uh, my, I really didn't see any reasonable income at all until I had my, my first full trilogy out. And by the time that was out, I also had a novella and the first book of another series out. But uh, I didn't make what I would consider to be, you know, career money until I had almost, I want to say about nine books out, like two full trilogies, a couple of side stories and the first book of a, a third series. So yeah, nine or 10 books uh, before I really felt comfortable. And, and two of them had really strong backlist performance. So that's what made me feel confident enough to start devoting the more, you know, take the day job hours and devote them to writing. So uh, yeah. E easily, easily 10 books. I would say in my case, uh, my first series was called The Emperor's Edge. And, uh, you know, I went from basically nobody bought the first book to learning a little bit, putting out the second book. Uh, I think with the third book, I figured out how to make book one perma-free. This, this was not an obvious thing back in the day. Uh, so that really helped with sales early on. Um, I, I will say too, for those people that are just starting out, have like no books out or one book out or two books out and are really daunted, like, oh my gosh, I need like 50 books to do well. When I was getting started, it was around Christmas of 2010, J.A. Conrath was blogging then. And I remember he showed his numbers and he had like 80 titles, you know, and he made like a hundred thousand that month. And I was just like, oh man, these people that have all these trunk novels or, or whatever, they're coming into the self-publishing thing with all these books already have such an advantage. And I was really bummed that I, I had two novels, but they were not in a, in the same series. So it was like no help there, but, um, you know, I am eight and a half years later or something with, I don't, like I said, I haven't counted my titles in a long time, but if you just keep going, it adds up after a while and you get there. Um, I think it was the fifth book in my Emperor's Edge series. That was the first time I broke 10,000 in a month. And I remember thinking like, okay, this is awesome. If I could just keep doing this, this could be all I need to do, you know, for the rest of my life. And, um, I actually never fell back down below that after that. I obviously kept publishing books and I, you know, you get a big bump with a release month. And at that point I was probably writing a book around every five months. I, you know, like I said, I've gradually gotten more efficient. Sometimes the longer books, I'm a little like Joe too. Like I'm always like, wow, it's most efficient to write 80,000 word novels and just charge four or five bucks for them. But as my series go along, they end up being the you know, last one was 120,000 that I just published. I think this next one that I'm working on will be like 130. And, you know, that's how it rolls. But, um, yeah, so I guess that was, I had done about six novels at that point. Um, and I think I'd started a steampunk series of novellas, but those are never big earners. And, yeah, but I would say it was with my, once I had my second series rolling, 
which was the Dragon Blood series, I felt more confident because I could also be running ads on book one of the Emperor's Edge series, and then I could be promoting this new series. And like the more stuff you have out there, uh, the more steady that backlist income becomes. Uh, I do believe that if I quit publishing altogether and quit marketing, it probably wouldn't take long for things to seriously drop off. But um, that's why we have investments in it and other things for the future. All right, let's move on. Um, one of the things that can be really helpful if you're trying to get to full-time income or, or more is if you focus on one genre and uh, you know even certain types of books, a brand, if you will. I would say that most people that I see starting today or a couple years ago that have kind of got into that six-figure number quickly were a little prolific and also they, they really focus, like urban fantasy, that's what they're doing and that all their books kind of either tie into each other, like the series may link to another series, or they're just the same types of books, same types of characters. Um, you know, it's up to you whether you think that's fun or whether you think you would get bored doing that. Uh, Joe and I are both kind of <laughs> genre hoppers. I've mostly stayed within the realm of fantasy and sci-fi, but I've done like sci-fi romance. I also did a contemporary mystery love story that sold no books because I didn't know how to market it. I knew nothing about that genre. Um, but yeah, if you can focus at least for the, your first series or two, and then you've kind of built up a fan base and maybe then you can branch out a little later. I didn't start sci-fi until I think I'd done two two big fantasy series each with like seven or eight books in them. What, did, what have you guys done? Um, so I my first series was a teen epic fantasy, and my second series is more of a, of a teen slash adult. I mean, they're in college, so, you know, new adult would be it, but it's not a romance um, series. And what I found was that I enjoy the worlds I've created enough to build on those worlds. And so pretty much every series I've written since the beginning involves elements of all those worlds. So my first series is about a, a kid, right? This 16 year old world, the second series is about an 18 year old. And then they end up teaming up those two halfway through that series. And then the next series I wrote was about the best friend. And then the next series is about her boyfriend. And I'm finding that my readers, it brings readers along better because they're already com com uh, characters that they're familiar with. And it helps me dig into the new series um, because I'm, I'm already interested. I already know who these characters are. And I know obviously that doesn't work for a lot of authors. I have several friends that can't write more than two or three books about the same characters. But for me, that's actually helped quite a bit with, with, um, you know, the marketability of my, my whole entire uh, world is because they're all based on each other. And I know a lot of the um, urban fantasy writers that I follow, they do it that way too. What they do is they plan out about four or five series, maybe six series, and they have that all be based in the same world, excuse me. And then they just have different characters and they'll delve into those you know, five or six different characters, their own, their own story for about five or six novels. And then because they know that world so well and they know the magic system and they know the characters, they're able to pop them out faster. All they have to do is brainstorm the plot and the, you know, the, the settings, if it's not going to be in the same area and things like that. And that as, as a, um, a writer with kids, I've had to find ways to make my system um, as proficient as possible. And luckily I'm interested in that kind of thing, you know, where my characters in my series all, all um, interact and that that's works for my readers who are also interested in that thing. So that's what I've been doing. 
This is an area that uh, is one of the big shortcomings in my uh, in my career so far. If I had if I'd planned this better and been more aware, things would have gone much much more smoothly for me. Uh, I have written, as I said earlier, I, I have three main series, and I typically release one book in each of those main series per year. Uh, if I had instead released, uh, you know, uh, three books a year in each of those in, in in one series, and then moved on to another, and moved on to another. Building momentum would have been so much easier, but as it is, uh, my series, my main series, are science fiction, uh, epic science, uh, epic fantasy, space opera, and steampunk. And there's more overlap between those than there are between a lot of other genres. If I had thrown like cozy mystery in there, I'm sure it would have been trickier. So in that way, at least, I was able to stay focused on a, a, a smaller slice of the pie. But uh, that being said, like the, I have more recently been trying to focus rapid, well, not rapid releases, because this is my first rapid release I just did, but trying to focus uh, a bigger chunk of time contiguously on a single thing so that people can sort of get comfortable knowing that they're going to get more of the same for a while. And it's, it's, it caused a, a brief turnaround in my income like a year and a half ago when I sort of started doing that. So, yeah, focusing is super, super useful if you can do it. Uh, and if you can focus on the same genre exclusively, which I would absolutely not be able to do, I'm going to have to continue genre hopping. Uh, that's even better because then you can sort of become, you know, people immediately know what to expect from you. And they know, you know, the you, you essentially, even if you have multiple series, you become pretty much. Uh, a single serious person because your tone and voice will be so similar from book to book that people will just have have you as a type in their head and and will be always willing to come on to your next book because they know what they're getting and one thing i know that the um what are they guys shawnee john um shawnee johnny sean you know sean platt all those guys they they don't like sticking to the same series or the same genre they they tend to hop a lot, but they also produce a lot more quickly than, say, an author who only writes one book a year and it's in a completely different genre. I know that they write romance and they write fantasy and things like that, and it works for them because they're producing enough. So there's a fine line or a there's like a, a rope that you need to walk where you're producing fast enough for readers in that genre for that series while also you know exploring other avenues that you're also interested in. And um, not everybody can meet it depending on schedules. Like, you know, I want to be writing more romances because I actually really enjoy that. But as you know, for the time being, I do have a baby and I can't take that time away. And so I focus instead on what is selling for me right now, which is fantasy. So, but it's not going to always be that way. And so for those who want to explore other things, but they're, they're in a more tight position like I am where they have a full-time job or, they have kids or something like that, then focus on something that brings you joy, makes you happy as a writer while still um, being a potential money earner. Because I'm one of those people, I like getting paid when I write and I don't believe that it's wrong to get paid for our books. And I think that's kind of going to be how pretty much um, the two of you feel and a lot of our listeners because of the theme of the podcast. I am going to assume anybody who downloads an episode wants to make money. So, <laughs> all right, moving on. We, we talked about this a little bit. I think what you do need right now to succeed is you really need good covers that fit with the genre expectations, professional editing for your manuscript and a good, you know, engaging blurb. And it, um, there's, we'll get some interviews, but um, you know, 
I would go read one of those blurb writing books. Libby Hawker has a, a good one. I know Brian Meeks has got sizzling synopsis because it's like, it's sort of like five, six, seven years That's ago. That's actually Brian Cohen. Brian Cohen. Sorry, Brian and Brian. <laughs> Brian, Meeks, Brian Meeks has one now too. It's called something different. All right. Um, but like maybe five, six, seven years ago, you could kind of get away with a little more, especially if you were in one of like the newer niches that was not very competitive. I remember I first did a sci-fi romance with my pen name in 2014 and the covers were very like, you could tell Photoshop, do DIY covers. So it really didn't take much to stand out a little bit, but uh, all the, you don't see much of that anymore in the top 100s. Everybody's pretty much getting professional covers. So you, I would I'd probably spend as much money as you, I mean, not as much money as you can afford, but if you only have X amount of money for, for everything, get a good cover. Uh, any thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, I definitely agree. My first series, when we first published it, kind of going along with what you were saying, Lindsay, my first series was, we, we thought the book covers were absolutely amazing, and they were top of the line for indie authors back in 2010, 2011. But um, a few years ago, all of a sudden, indie authors started to catch on and more professional mind, professionally minded people started becoming authors and they started hiring and more cover designers, um, you know, more designers started making covers and more professional covers. And pretty quickly, those book covers that we thought were absolutely fantastic and were at that time became very outdated and not top of the line. And we, uh, we scrambled once we realized that it was actually slowing down ourselves, that we needed to basically relaunch that series with brand new covers that were more appropriate for today's standards. And like Lindsay was saying, the top 100 books are, they're very professional. And if your cover is not, at, is not stellar, and it doesn't have to be expensive to be stellar. I mean, I'm working with a cover designer right now who only charges about $200 for each cover, but he produces very good covers. And if your covers are not stellar, you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to rise to the top. You're going to sink to the bottom and readers will not find your books. And if they do, they won't be interested in downloading them because there's so many other covers and so many other options that are more professional looking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like one of the key things in that is well, earlier I talked about, I had the lucky break and I reinvested in the, in the, uh, in the books. I made about $3,000 the first time I ever made any reasonable money. And I bought three covers with those $3,000. So I bought three $1,000 covers. And within two months I was selling five times as many books because first off my original covers were terrible. I'll share the pictures one day. They're awful. The next covers were really good. Uh, and more to the point, one of the, one of the, one of the things here is that fit the market. If you have the best cover in the world, but it doesn't look like the rest of the covers in that genre, people are going to not, people who are looking for the books in that genre will overlook your book because it doesn't fit the common, we talk about it, uh, might've been one of the myths, but like, you don't really want to stand out. You want to be a standout book, but you want to be a recognizable book in your, in your, uh, in your market. So you want to be instantly recognizable as your genre, and then you want to have a book that, that uh, fits well. So that's, that's, it's not just a good cover, it's the right cover. Uh, and then once you have the good cover, then people will click on your thing and they will read your blurb. And if your blurb is terrible, they won't buy your book. So you need to have a good blurb. My blurbs could use work, not because they're bad, but because they're long. Uh, uh, blurbs should really be snap, uh, snappy, and I've been working on that. And then after that, uh, professional editing, let's say they like your cover and they like your blurb, they buy your book and your book is terribly edited, you're going to get bad reviews and then no one else will buy your book. So these really are, all three things are important. Uh, I would say, yeah, yeah, all three things are important. So do all of them. 
Right. You'll find exceptions out there, but a lot of times the exceptions started 10 years ago or five years ago and built a fan base and, you know, maybe they can get away with a, a less than stellar blurb. Uh, of course, another thing that is really going to help is uh, entertaining stories, well-crafted stories. It should be obvious, but I don't know how many samples I've picked up where grammar is not there, you know, stuff's clunky, it feels like a new writer. And, you know, if your market's really starving for books, you might be able to get away with some of that, but you're just going to have much better success, better chance of success if you, you know, get as much right as you can. And you know, oftentimes just publishing your first novel may not be the best idea with self-publishing these days. It's really easy to just put something out there. You'll often find with traditional publishing that authors may have written four or five books before they actually got something accepted. And, and they usually say like, that was a good thing that those early novels were not good enough. Um, if you're sitting here thinking, I'm going to start a 10 book series, then uh, you want to make sure book one is awesome because, and, you know, if you're good at marketing, you can sell the first book whatever. But they're not going to go on to read the other ones if the story didn't grab them. And uh, we'll talk more about like series and breaking down a series and really crafting something to kind of keep people going on. But uh, I just, whenever I start a series, I try to write each book is like, feels like a complete installment, but at the same time, there's unanswered questions that people are curious about. And then there's this kind of overarching story arc that uh, you want to see resolved. And that's what keeps you picking up the books and going through to the end. Um, some genres like maybe cozy mysteries and stuff like that, it might be tougher, but even with those, a lot of times there'll be some sort of secrets about the, you know, characters that are slowly unveiled that keep readers reading. Do you guys have any thoughts to add on that? Um, yeah, I just 100% agree. Uh, in, in my case, I lucked out most of my early, my, my first three books were a, a big bundle of luck and the following 24 books were more sculpted. But my first three books were technically one gigantic book that I split into three parts, which meant A, there were still 150,000 words each. So people got very invested in the characters by the time they got it to the end of book one. And B, it ended in a cliffhanger because it was actually the first third of a story, which I do not recommend, but it absolutely, like people were so deeply engaged by them, they sort of angrily click through to the next one and then happily click through to the third one. So yeah, writing, writing books that, that really dig their claws into people. And then you end up getting people demanding, well, we need to know more about this character. And I, like I talk about my main series books, I also have spinoff books off of a lot of characters because people wanted to know more about that specific character who for one reason or another is unlikely to show up in future novels. Um, just a word about what Lindsay was saying. Your first novel probably won't be your best. It probably isn't one that you should publish. Um, I wrote my first book as an adult. I didn't start writing until I was well into college and I've never had a creative writing class. And so it was pretty rough. Um, I did have a bunch of people tell me that I should never publish it. Uh, I ended up rewriting that actual novel probably five times. And so if you are absolutely in love with that first novel, then you need to be willing to put the work into it to make it um, readable. Like that first draft of that first novel was not readable. And it was, I, I mean, I shudder. I, I had people that I wasn't very close to read it and they told me I needed to hire a professional, you know? And so, um, so yeah, that first book, if, if you really do love that idea, either put it aside so that, and write something that you can really, what is it? Sharpen your teeth on or whatever, whatever that saying is, or, expect it to take some time as you work through the, you know, the brand new beginner author stages. Um, 
I kind of feel like that's more of a beginner um, position and a lot of the authors, well, actually we're gonna have a lot of writers who are of all sorts of uh, levels of uh, skill at this point listening to this podcast. I think it's a good idea to start listening to a podcast like this when you are more in the beginning of your career rather than at towards the end of your career and you have, you're recognizing all the things that you need to change. So, so yeah, don't, don't um, listen to me when I say that this is too much of a beginning topic. <laughs> I think that a lot of times when you start out, you're just writing the stories that you love and you want to tell and you're not thinking about like, Oh my gosh, I got to hook the reader and make sure that they want to read eight novels in this series or whatever it is. All right, I'm going to skip my next one because I think we've already been talking for an hour. And um, let's go ahead and I'm going to pass this to you, Andrea, because you had a few too that you, a uh, little um, things you should be doing to get to six figures or beyond. So why don't you hop in there? Okay, sounds good. So my first point here is you need to treat it like a business, uh, even before you're making money on it. So when you do make money, don't spend that on personal things. I mean, you can go reward yourself with an ice cream cone or something, but reinvest it into the business um, so that your business actually has the ability to grow. So if you're making $200, save that and put that towards your next book cover or your next edit or whatever. And then you're, you're also going to want to schedule time to write. Don't let people walk all over your scheduled time to write. So if you set aside an hour or two every single day, make sure people know that they need to respect that time. Um, so basically you need to treat it like it's not a hobby, take it seriously and act like it's an actual business rather than um, messing around. And as you do that, other people will take you more seriously and you will be able to be more productive and more successful. And do either of you guys want to comment on that? I think that encapsulates it pretty well. <laughs> no, you're, that's good. And I would say I did not do a lot of the treated as a business stuff in that I kind of checked out of my previous job because I was self-employed before. I just was like so focused on my writing. And so it was sort of like, this has to work because I did, I was fortunate enough. I had websites and stuff that was still bringing in some money. But um, I, I think that people are better off if they just kind of keep reinvesting the money they get in the covers and editing and maybe keep the day job a little while longer, put away some savings so that you're not stressed out when you do make the switch. And yeah, think of it as a business. And I love the idea to just make carve out yourself out an hour of time if you can. A lot of people who are still working full time will do like an hour in the morning. Uh, they'll get up early or they're, if they're night owls, they'll stay up an hour late, like after the kids have gone to bed. And I think if you make a habit of like every day, that's whatever, 10 to 11 p.m. at night is my writing time. And then during the day, you're thinking about what you're going to write so you can really focus when you actually sit down and do it. You can come up with a novel, you know, pretty reasonably quickly with an hour a day. Maybe you're writing a thousand words a day. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, a lot of authors, you know, if you just plug away at it every single day, you know, even just one or 2000 words a day, like Lindsay was saying, you can actually come up with a novel in a month if you're doing 2000 words a day. So don't, don't, um, don't discard, discredit the importance of writing regularly and that whole block of time. Um, my next thing here that I wanted to talk about was how important it is to be flexible because things in the uh, things in this industry change really quickly. I mean, if you look at the last ten years, things have changed drastically since since I first started. And especially where marketing is concerned, you just keep an keep an ear to the to the road. This is one thing about Andrea. I confuse sayings all the time, so <laughs> just pay attention to you know people who actually who pay attention to these things. Keep an eye on. Um, people who are, uh, you know, bloggers and podcasters and things like that. And just make sure that you're keeping up with stuff. And then when things change, be flexible and change with them. And for example, 
I'm a cover designer. I did all of my own covers up until this last week where I realized that I can't possibly keep up with designing my own covers, taking care of my kids, raising a family, homeschooling and writing. And so I actually, in the last week I've started my, my listeners already know this, but I've started handing off those projects to cover designers, you know, professional cover designers. And it's, um, it's been honestly freeing and at, you know, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I would have been very upset if I had known that I would be doing that so quickly and so soon, because it's one of my favorite parts about being an author is creating those covers, but I ran out of time and writing is more important to me than making a book cover. I mean, I don't want to make book covers for other authors, so I'd have to write a book to get a, to be able to make a book cover, but being flexible is very important. Okay. So I'm going to go through the rest of my points pretty quickly here, just because Lindsay has adorable dogs that are very sad and they're missing her very much. <laughs> so anyway, so a bunch of these are kind of related. You want to, I, I put a big emphasis on networking because if you don't have a lot of time to write, then you're going to need to have a, you're going to need to look into other avenues for opportunities. And so be friendly, be helpful, pay it forward, help other authors, uh, be nice to your readers and it will come back to you. It's that karma thing. If you're helpful to other people, then they will be more likely to help you. And that does make a huge difference if you do not have the ability to be writing a million words a day. So keep up on those connections and make sure you have a way for people to contact you so that when you do get big, they can reach out to you, you know, Hollywood, et cetera. And then don't waste your time. Don't waste it on researching and don't waste it on, you know, watching a whole bunch of TV and things like that. But also recognize that sometimes writing isn't the most important thing you can do with your time. Uh, most of the most successful authors I know take at least one day off a week or they do things that replenish their well. I have an author friend who writes um, two 30,000 word novellas every single month and she takes a full week off every single month just to make sure she's not burning out and to give her family some time. And so if you're, if you're pushing too hard and you're too focused on becoming successful, then it, you're actually setting yourself up for failure because when an emergency happens and things like that, you know, things fall apart, then you're not able to, your business has the opportunity or the chance to fall apart as well. And then last, be well-rounded this, like I said, these all interact with each other. Make sure that you are doing things that can that will actually uplift your yourself and your business and your writing career as well, because the more you're putting in through your creative outlets, the more you'll be able to put out. So that's pretty much it for me. <laughs> All right. Well, as you breeze through those really quickly, um, I think it's funny that you're the one with the kids, but I'm the one that has to go pick up the dogs from doggy daycare before they close. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, podcast <laughs> listeners will remember I have a one-year-old puppy. Puppy, she's, she's a full huge grown puppy. now. She's 67 <laughs> pounds, but uh, she's still insane, and they like to bark at things while I'm trying to record podcasts. So, um, I did want to comment on the be friendly, helpful, try to pay it forward early on. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I get pitched all the time by people who want me to promote them in my newsletter. And I'm like, I, I don't know you. <laughs> We've never had a relationship before. And um, I'm actually don't do very much of that because I only send out newsletters when I have new releases. So it's just luck if somebody else is running, launching something. Wait, and so you send out a newsletter like every two weeks then if you only send it out when, when you have a new release? <laughs> <laughs> I had this summer, I had something almost every month. Right now I'm working on the 130,000 word novel. But uh, And then some one year it'll be fantasy I'm working on, one year I'm sci-fi. So it'll be like a year before I have another thing go out to the sci-fi people. But uh, just the point is that 
like networking is a good thing, but don't go into it expecting someone to do a favor just because you exist. Um, some of the people I've seen do really well with the networking stuff, they have like done favors for other people first. You know, like maybe they put together a multi-author box set and invite people to join. And they're like, well, I'll do all the work. You just, you know, you just do a little like announcement to your newsletter, social media. So be willing to do things for other people before you ask for favors. Um, because other, you know, you may get lucky and you may get folks that will be like, oh, sure, no problem. Uh, I'll, I'll be happy to help you, especially if they send out a newsletter every week and are looking for things. But I feel that it's like a really good philosophy to have just like to be helping, help other people without asking for anything. And then you would be, you don't be surprised. People will kind of get to know you if you're, if you're like mentioning that you're reading their books on Facebook and, and you tagged them and you're not asking for anything at that point. But, you know, if you do that a couple of times, they're probably going to remember, oh yeah, that person plugs my book when I have a new release. They're, you know, they're a reader. They're really awesome. So just uh, when you're thinking about networking, it just, it's not all about me. Think for the future, think for the next 10 years of your career, the relationships you want to make with other people and, uh, always try to do something for others before you ask for something. That's my way of saying, don't email me this week, guys. <laughs> I, had, I don't have any new releases coming out. So uh. that's funny. And I'm actually, I mean, my interview, I mean, I am looking for authors who want to swap right now, but I mean, I'm, I agree with Lindsay. Like one of authors, actually, honestly, authors don't pitch me a whole ton anymore. I think that maybe because they've, they've discovered that I'm, you know, I'm, I have these other ways that I will help them like through my, my Facebook groups and my courses and things like that. So when they do pitch me, I'm just like, Hey, I've got a free course, you know, and words spread out maybe, I don't know. But, um, yeah, if, if you're helpful and friendly, this is not, you know, you don't need to accept everybody who comes to you, but that does mean that you should be, um, doing things to provide value, but you don't have to, again, like these are things that I was saying, like, if you don't have a whole ton of time and you're not able to write all the time, I mean, I put as much time to writing as possible, but because I can't put, you know, four hours a day to writing, I spend, you know, a few extra minutes here and there to network or to provide value in some way. All right. Should we let Joe see you? Did you have want to chime in on any of those before we wrap it up for our inaugural first episode? It's a surprise question there. <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, wait, am I still talking? <laughs> I was done. Uh, yeah, no, networking is super duper important. It's possible that very early on, a very young author, uh, Joe Lalo, wrote a blog post for Lindsay Baroker about book covers. That's a thing that happened. But also, yeah, especially when perhaps you don't have any releases coming up, just being able to be uh, uh, sort of reach out to a group of people and 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 have opportunities uh, for collaboration. I'm in book bundles all the time. I'm basically uh, like a an associate curator for Story Bundle at this point. And almost all the people that I pull in uh, tend to be people that I've I've worked with in the past, and vice versa. I've, now that I've worked with them, they often pull me in on things too. So having a big network of people. And being known to be a, a good collaborator can really help you out if things start to get rough. I do want to add for those out there cringing at the idea of networking, that I don't think I networked with anyone for the first six years of my writing career. I'm, I'm not really that kind of person. Um, so it helps, but I, you can still make it just by learning a little bit about marketing, especially if you have a little money to spend on advertising when you have new releases and stuff. Um, it's certainly great if somebody big in your genre will plug you. 
but I actually, as somebody that's kind of done it myself, I'm a little, maybe a little grudging when people ask for that stuff. I'm like, come on, nobody helped me. There were, cause there was nobody doing newsletters back then. We're so old guys. It's, you know, it's kind of in this last five years that everybody's got a newsletter and everybody's doing newsletter swaps and that kind of thing. But um, there's hope. You, it can certainly help, but if it, you're really not into that thing, you can probably find your own way. If you're determined, you can find a way. All right, should we wrap it up on that note? Any any parting thoughts? No more parting thoughts. All right, excellent. Well, thanks, <laughs> thanks for the three of you out there that actually listened all the way to the end. Um, we're still kind of working out the glitches and stuff, and hopefully things will be pretty smooth going forward. Uh, really appreciate it, and we'll have uh, more shows coming really soon. Yeah. So long, everybody. Excited about it.